you're listening to Prep Period, the only podcast for teachers that's focused on quick wins and actionable tips that can be implemented in your classroom tomorrow. Prep Period starts in three, two, one. Welcome to the Prep Period Podcast. My name is Brian Bean. I'm going to be your host as usual. Uh, today's an exciting episode. I'm really excited for this one. i got a good old friend of mine, uh, Pamela Burleson, is going to be our guest today. And we're going to talk all about how to build a program. So for those CTE teachers out there listening who are tired of having 18 preps every year, uh, today's going to be a good one for you. You're going to love it. Uh, just to give you a little bit of uh, background information about Pam, uh, having previously been a geophysicist, in the oil industry. Pamela Burleson has a bachelor's degree in applied mathematics from Texas A&M and has presented at the conference for the advancement of mathematics uh, teaching and been featured by the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. She currently teaches financial math at Forney High School, it's just east of Dallas, uh, as well as developmental math online for Lone Star College here in Houston. And so my good dear friend Pamela, thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. It's it's great to be here. Oh, well, good, good, good. So today we're going to talk all about how to build a program, right? Um, dream scenario for every CTE teacher is to only have one prep, right? Um, I know when I was teaching, the most, most I ever had at one time was I think four four different prep periods, but I know teachers who have had like six or seven different preps. Uh, and, and it's just kind of the way it goes in CTE. So I'm super excited to dive into this subject. Uh, but first of all, tell us a little bit about the specific class that you teach and maybe a little bit about what the uphill battle was to grow that program to begin with. So I teach financial math here in Texas. It is a one year, one credit course it counts as a forced math for, or upper level math for our seniors, typically is who takes it. Um, I do have some juniors that take it. Um, typically my juniors are doing it as an elective credit. This year I am both virtual and face-to-face -face teacher. So I have both of those environments that I'm, that I'm juggling. Um, I have a total of like 165, 170 students this year. Um, they've moved. I have about a hundred that are virtual now, so um, you can do the math. Yeah. <laughs> but the um, the challenge has really been for me. It's been marrying the program with my district grading policy and making sure that everything is really, you know, on point, and I don't get myself into trouble with some parents or some kids because of the grading with this program is a little, a little different little different but I have been able to match all of the content with state content standards and then with my district's grading policy and I've been able to marry all of those and that is so important yeah for sure um, I remember when I was trying to grow my program one of the biggest hurdles that I had at the very beginning is making sure that everybody understood <laughs> we're gonna cover the content it, this might seem a little mm -hmm. different uh, but that, that's, I think, a little unique for our specific programs. Um, but let's talk a little bit about your process. Um, so you, you've mentioned before that there are five key actions that you've got to take to really grow a program. Um, and first, they might seem pretty straightforward, but I, I know from personal experience that some of these, there's some nuance to it. 
So let's start with the first one. And you've mentioned that the first one is to know um, know your state requirements. And you kind of just alluded to that a little bit. Why is that so important that you understand those state requirements just if you're trying to build a program? So for two reasons um, with that, you've got to understand how the program fits in with their graduation requirement. What kind of credit is it going to get them? Because if it won't get them any credit, if it won't advance them toward graduation, nobody can take it. There's not. So you got to understand where it fits graduation-wise. And then you've really got to know your content standards, whatever they are. Here in Texas, they're called the TEAM, Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills. Mm-hmm. And if you list them out for financial math, there's like 120 of them. Yeah, there <laughs> and are you need a ton. To, yeah, it's crazy. And you need to – my district is really big on we teach to our content standards. And so every day I'm required to post which TEAM I'm covering. And there's some days I'm covering seven. Yeah. you know, depending on what we're doing. But I've got to teach to my standards. And if you don't know your standards, you can't teach to your standards. So that's, that's where it starts. That's so where really, it, starts. it sounds like, that. I, I mean, it might seem obvious to people, well, yeah, obvious I'm going to teach my standards. But a lot of people, they don't realize that it's very easy to skip over some of those. And so if you're going to try and grow a program, you've got to, it almost sounds like this is eliminating any ammunition against you. Right. There's yeah. no excuse to school for why you couldn't grow the program because you're 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 fitting it in with a graduation plan and you're covering everything mm-hmm. the state wants you to cover. You got you've got you, you've dotted your eyes to cross your T's. I like it. Yep. Awesome. Um, OK, so then number two um, is really all about working your way up the ladder. Okay, You, you talked to me before about kind of starting with your department chair, work your way up the ladder. So what does that really mean? Who do you need to talk to? And why are they in their various different positions? How are they important to your process of growing a program? So I'd actually start with your entire math team. So not okay. not necessarily your department chair, but your, your fellow math teachers, because you are going to need their help. Or any teacher, depart, depending whatever department you're in. Your team. Yes. Okay. So, and, and I'm, I'm math, I'm certified math, and this, this counts as a math credit as well as CTE. Gotcha. So, I, I generated support amongst my fellow math teachers and really started to drum up support. I worked with my department chair. Hey, I think we need this class. I worked up to my AP. We really need this class. These kids would really benefit from the class. There's community support. And it went up from there, and it went over to admin, and eventually we got it approved. And um, we got funding, we got your program, the whole, the whole thing. But you've got to work your way up because you're going to need their help later. And then another thing, this is a really fun class to teach. And so if you let everybody know your intention, it makes it almost impossible for them to then give it to somebody else to teach. Ah, that, ah that's, that is key. People who may not have been in this position don't understand how how much poaching goes on in education oh Oh, it's bad yeah it can be bad and and i i was very upfront and this this for me for me was was a very long process it was at least three years from from when i originally met you and i made my intent very 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 well known and i so when when the survey went out you know who wants to teach what next year there were several people that indicated interest but i got much at the top of the list. So. I like it. So really, that when you think about it, there I can see two different levels of value through 
going through that process and taking the time of talking to everybody from the bottom up. Number one, like you just alluded to, it lets everybody know you're marking your territory. It is yeah. it's mine, and I'll fight you if you come over here, right? So you, you're kind of marking mm-hmm. your territory. You're, you're letting everybody know this is your intention, this is what you want to do. But also, it seems like along the way, uh, you're kind of converting other people to the value and so you never know when you might need another champion, you know. And so when you go to talk to your admin, if you've got the department chair coming and being like, hey, this is the real deal. We really, this program uh, would benefit the students. Um, and I know you and I are going to end up talking a lot about financial math and my model and things like that. But it, I, I've seen this same process happen at my school with our uh, our digital marketing class and the digital media classes. And we even had a teacher who was like, business law is where it's at. <laughs> Like you go teach that business law, and uh, you know that's you've got to have that passion, but you need that champion. It helps a ton. Now I notice in your your talk that you didn't mention the counselors. You kind of skipped. You went straight to admin, <laughs> but we all know everybody listening knows who really runs the school. Well, that's the secretary. But after the secretary, it's the counselors, right? So uh, let's talk about why you give them their own unique step. Um, uh, why having a good relationship is so vital, important that you kind of single them out in your process? Absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to tell you my story and I'll let you draw your own conclusions. Here's what happened to me. So I met you and I learned about your program and I, I got, I worked my way up the chain. I got approval from, you know, from top down that, yes, we are going to allow you your school, because we have two schools in the in the district, you're, yeah. we're going to let you teach it. And we're going to give you funding, and, and we've approved your curriculum choices. And I talked to students and got students interested in the class, and nobody registered. And I got to talk to the counselors. Well, they hadn't put it on the schedule unless students register for it the first year at my campus. Now, the other campus counselors did. And so they're, they're in their third year of the program, whereas I'm only in my second, and for whatever reason, it didn't make the schedule choices. So it doesn't matter why, it doesn't matter. The point is that's a year of students that were not allowed that opportunity. And I know if I had been more intentional and if I had done what I'm telling the rest of you to do, it would have been on there and students would have been able to select the class. So you've got to be intentional with those counselors. Let them know, here's how I'm going to grade. Here's my expectations outside of school as far as homework requirements. For me, myself, it's almost none. I, I, I do not have, I build in time in class for them to get their stuff done. So workload, it's very minor. And, you know, I let them know what my expectations are. And I, and I got them on board the next year, and it was much more successful. Wow. You know, they really, they really are like the gatekeepers to the schedule. They are. Right? I mean, it they doesn't are. matter what admin says if the counselors don't put it on there. And in my experience, I needed the counselors to push it. Uh, so I had a very similar experience. When I first got approved to, to launch my program at my school to begin with, the principal was like, man, I love this. Let's do this. We're going to pull you out of science. We're going to let you go teach this class. And I was sitting all excited. He's like, but first we got to get permission. I was like, you're the principal. Who are you going to give permission from? He's like, come on, I'm going to take you to the, to Lachelle's office and you're going to talk to the lead counselor and you've got to convert her because if she says no, it's never going to happen. Uh, and so we had a, a very similar situation. 
it turned out that the counselor's biggest reservation was, and I mentioned this to you previously, but it has to do with the NCAA not counting financial math as a, as a math credit, one of their core things. And we're going to work on that, I'm telling you. I like it. Well, you bring up a really valid point because a lot of times, so there's nuances to all of these things. It's some that the left hand might not know what the right hand knows, right? The, the yep. admin might, they're not getting into the weeds with that kind of stuff, but the counselors will know. So if you're teaching some, you know, random course that the state of Texas says, here, this is available, we'll approve the, here are some teats, but not every school offers it. It's a, it's a, you know, an elective credit. There might be a domino effect repercussions to the students' long-term plans, and the counselors are going to know that. So if yes. you can get them on board, not only will they champion for you and help you, but they'll also help you design a better program to be stronger in that context. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I love when I saw your list of these five things, I love that you put counselors on their own line because they are so important. All right. I love it. I love it. Okay. So this next one is actually, I know I've been hyping up counselors. This next one's my favorite one. Hey, because uh, I think it's really clever. So uh, number four is actually, uh, it, it, you know, what? I'm not even going to try and give it a lead in. I'm just going to let you dive right in. So tell us number four. Set the, the suspense. So, number four is I go to all the theater classes and I talk about the classes. Now, in all honesty and in all fairness, we have always done this here at Forney High School with our math department. Every um, upper level class goes around to all of the theater classes. So the way we do it here in our high school, Algebra 1, Geometry, Algebra 2. So it's, Algebra 2 is my theater class. And so I go to all of them. I go to the on-level and the advanced both. And I talk about the class and the grading and the lab and, and how we, we do things that I let them know. But, again, we do that as an entire department. And this is where I mentioned earlier, you've got to have your department support mm -hmm. so that they will allow into their classrooms and take us 5, 10, 15 minutes of their time. And we actually we make a schedule. You know, here's all of the different sections in the rooms and the time for this class and who's going to take which one. We make a whole spreadsheet of who's going to what class. And, and we do this not necessarily to promote our classes, but we do this to make sure that kids get into the class that they need and the class that they want to get them to where they want to go. We want to make sure that our future engineers and our future doctors are in pre-cal and calculus. We want sure. to make sure that our nurses realize that they need statistics, not calculus. You know, we want to make sure that our music majors realize they don't need calculus. So we, we've always done this. Yeah. We've always done this. I just use it to my advantage. Um, now, along those same lines, though, you can't do this if your class isn't going to be any fun, right? You've got to be, you got to have a product to sell, for lack of better terminology. So what do you do to make your class not only just fun, but what kind of things do you emphasize when you're talking to the students to get them excited about it? So I emphasize the real-world application, and I emphasize my content, how they're going to be able to use their content their entire life. And I mentioned some of the things that we cover, and, you know, I tell them, I'm going to teach you how to fill out a check. I'm going to teach you how to balance your checkbook, and I'm going to teach you how to pay your taxes and all this kind of stuff. And, and that gets their interest. I'm going to teach you how to read a W-2, <laughs> look at your pay stubs, that sort of thing, because um, – you know, they're getting jobs, they're getting cars. I, I'm going to teach you how to buy a car, stuff like that. 
and they are hungry for that knowledge, I have found. So I emphasize the content. But as far as other sneaky little things to make it fun, anytime there is a campus-wide class, we go whole hog. So we're gonna we're gonna collect cans for a food drive, man. I'm giving you bonus points, and we are mm. going to win because I want my name, and I want you know the <laughs> Mrs. Burton financial math class. I want it announced on the announcer, yeah. you know, with, during the announcement, Christmas holiday door decorating contest. I'm gonna pay a kid lab money to one of the art students to decorate my door, and I'm gonna give her you know whatever it is, ten thousand dollars in the lab or whatever. And we're going to win. And you're going to win. It sounds so sketchy, but it works so good. I did the same stuff, Bella. It's it's one of the advantages of having a course that operates with a class economy. You can leverage that to get kids to do stuff. I did it too. But here's the thing. You create a culture at your school where your course has become an institution of itself. And everybody, oh, yeah. it's on their mind. It, they're constantly thinking about it. I did the same thing. We used to do this thing at my school where they did old school homecoming king and queen. And it was a fundraiser mm-hmm. for the National Honor Society. And basically they elected a teacher, uh, a male and a female teacher as the old school homecoming king and queen. And it was all ever teacher could raise the most money for National Honor Society. Mm-hmm. Well, I flat out cheated, and I'm not afraid to admit it. I told my students straight up, I will match dollar for dollar. Every dollar we raise for this fundraiser, I will give you all a dollar bonus in, in the class economy. And As kids would say, that is using your resources. There was one year where I beat the person in second place by like sixfold. Like he had made, he brought in like 200 bucks and we were at like 12, 1300, something like that. It was just ridiculous. But it, it, it creates traction very quickly. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Every year, my class won it. My, and it just became this thing that people knew. And then it's just, there's no, there's no such thing as bad PR, right? Nope. Uh, nope. I'll, but it, it lets kids. Um, highlight some of their natural abilities. Like I said, your art students can do your door decorating contest, you know, and they can go whole hog because you can give them time in class and whatever supplies they need, you know, you can let them go to town. So it gives kids a chance to, you know, show off a little. So mm-hmm. I want to give you one last little bit to shout out about yourself. Tell us how big your program has grown in these two years and, and, and tell us a little bit about your situation before and after. So again, this is actually technically my third year in the program. I had zero students the first year. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. So starting at two <laughs> my zero. First, my first year, I had 90 students. 90 students. It was awesome. This is my second year. or one, You know, whatever. However you want to count. I got lost track too. Um, I have about 165. And as of right now, I have 195 registered for next year. And we're expecting to go over the 200 mark. We're trying now to figure out, do we do we bring in a, a second teacher? Do I teach a full day with no break? What are we going to do? Wow. So That's awesome. So if I understand yeah. correctly, you started at zero. Um, and then you went in just three years. You went from zero to this is the only class you're going to teach next year. Possibly even have to bring in another teacher. It's the only class I teach this year. So, so in your second year, year, it's the only class you teach. Year. 
Well, there you go. So now I do teach virtual and face to face. Sure. But I teach this class all day long. I don't teach any other prep. That is the dream scenario. So all you yep. CTE teachers out there that are listening, you're like, man, I really love my digital marketing class. I wish this is the only thing I had to teach. Now you have a blueprint. And then just be mm -hmm. patient. A couple years, it's all you're going to teach. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for coming and sharing all the things you've learned. Happy to be here. Happy to help. All right. What a great episode. So so grateful to Pamela for coming on to our, our show and sharing some of her her insight. Pam's an amazing teacher. She didn't say this. And I kind of chatted her a little bit for it. She didn't put it on her bio, so I'm going to say it for her. But she was actually uh, the teacher of the year uh, last year uh, for doing just some phenomenal work, not only with her class and helping grow that program, but uh, in some of the mentor capacities that she did for other teachers and curriculum she wrote for other classes. So what a, what a fantastic resource for us to be able to to gain insight from her knowledge and, and some of the things that she has done. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I know you have other options. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the Prep Period Podcast on uh, on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or really wherever you get your podcasts. For uh, Tune in for more actionable tips like this, like today. Key takeaways um, that you can implement in your class tomorrow, right? as well as long-term benefits. So thank you so much and we'll see you next week.